Well, hey, good good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Austin, one of the pastors here. If you're a college student or you're new, let me just get ahead of the question. Uh, no, I'm not in college. Uh, I got three kids, been married for almost seven years, own a home, and a mini golden doodle, right? So uh, anyways, I'm so pumped for the college students. I can't wait for Tuesday, the kickoff uh, for Salt Company, and I guarantee... I'm going to meet college students that ask me what year I am or if I'm like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. So anyways, no, I'm not. But hey, I have a friend, uh, his name's Andrew, and um, if he doesn't get a kidney transplant uh, soon, he's going to die. Um, true story. He's 30 years old. He's one of my best friends. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. We did ministry together when we lived in Omaha. And um, he planted a church around the same time that City Light Lincoln planted. And... Um, We were in Thailand, him and I together with our wives in a missions team like five, six years ago, and he got sick and he had to go to the hospital, and it was the start of what would be a downward trajectory of the health of his kidneys. At 30 years old, his kidneys are functioning under, in a joint, 16%. Uh, and so it's like he's on dialysis, um, and he's a healthy guy. I mean, he's, and he loves Jesus like crazy. It's just, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, but we have gathered around Andrew so many times and just begged Jesus to heal. Like, I know you can, Jesus. I believe that you could do it. Like, just heal his kidney. Do it. Like, you love him. Would you show us, like, in this amazing way? And God chose to not answer our prayer in that way to miraculously heal him instantaneously. But um, he is healing Andrew through a potential kidney transplant. And so we're thankful for that. And so uh, if Andrew were to wait on a standard kidney transplant list, he will die. He will not make it long enough to get a kidney that's on a normal list. So what he has to do is ask for someone to volunteer, one of his friends, family, network. So he kind of had to just share with people, like, I, I will die unless someone. And so just um, so many people, because Andrew is so loved, uh, got together and, um, and just said, hey, we'll, we'll donate. If, if we're a match, we totally will. So like literally so many people offered But the key thing with a kidney transplant isn't just that someone is willing to give you one, but the key thing is can you receive it, right? You get that? And so they're doing all these tests on these potential people that want to give their kidney. Is your blood test right? Is the kidney big enough? Does it line up? Is it going to transfer right? Like all these different things, like even the... The, the, the anatomy of it, will it fit, and will it, the big question is receptivity. Is your body going to receive this kidney? And if it won't, well, it, you're going to die. You know, if you try, you're, you're going to die, but if it will, it could actually save you. And so it's been such a delay, and by God's grace, uh, there is a guy that matched up with him, and I think surgery is scheduled next month, so pray for Andrew. We're praying, yeah, praise God. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and... Uh, but, but, but I think this idea gives us so much insight into what Nate just read for our scripture this morning in Luke 8. So he, he, here's, here's the bad news. You and I both possess a disease that is deadly, that is killing us. And it has nothing to do with our kidneys. It has nothing to do with our physical health. It has everything to do with our soul. And it's a disease called sin. And it's run rampant in every single one of us. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. You don't have to wonder if anyone's willing to donate in order for you to live. Like Jesus, or God gave so much more than a kidney. He gave his own son, and his own son gave his own life. So number one, good news, you don't have to wait for a donor, right? And number two, um, you, don't have to, you don't have to wonder if someone's going to give you it. Jesus is fully, that's the price of the gospel. He came 2,000 years ago, lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we should have died in order to come 
and, uh, and be that sacrifice so that we could actually live and be freed from this disease of sin eternally. And so, um, but the question is not, is it there? Not, is it available? The question is, will you receive it? Or can you receive it? Right? That's what this text is getting to. Are you part of a crowd that's excited? Or are you part of Jesus' inner circle that by faith go, man, I, I want you. I want to be in relationship with you. And so the question comes down to receptivity. And these lay out four options for how you can respond to Jesus, four ways our hearts can respond to the gospel. My hope is at the end of this, we can kind of navigate where we're at. Where is my heart? Have I landed on good soil? Have I, am, am, I, am, I, am I not there yet? Whatever it might be, it might give us a clear indicator of where we are. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4, that's where we're going to start. You guys can open up your Bibles. You've got them. Uh, Luke, 4, or Luke 8, chapter, verse 4. Okay. And when a great crowd was gathering, Luke 8, verse 4, a people from town, and town after town came to him, he said in a parable. So again, when a great crowd was gathering, people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. So the preface to this parable, before we get into anything, is that there's a great crowd of people. The people are coming, and people are coming, and, uh, and they're excited, they're seeing him. And this is the preface into his parable. Now, this is why it's significant. This Sunday, a lot of college students are back. It's awesome. The room's jam-packed. Most of you can't find a seat. There's only a couple in here, right? That's awesome. I love that. And what happens to the human heart when we see a big crowd is we get excited, right? Like, think about the Garth Brooks concert, like, what, last week or whatever. Like, it was awesome. I went to it. It was amazing. But what was the thing that people were so fixated on? It was the largest concert in Nebraska history. 90,000 people packed out Memorial Stadium. It was, I mean, Garth was amazing, but the big thing, the big headline was the biggest concert. And there's, we love crowds. Even this morning, people are like, this is so cool. It's packed. We love it. It's awesome. And I'm telling you, we get excited when we see big crowds, but Jesus, when he sees big crowds, he gets concerned. He gets wary. He knows there's probably people here that aren't here for the right reason. There's probably here that are just... People that are spectators, part of a crowd because people are here and it's packed and why would you not, whatever. And he's going, but I need to separate the crowd. Like I need to give some distinguishment of where people are and where they are and and this whole thing. And that's the preface into his parable is to divide and go, hey, have you received his word? Are you just simply wanting to hear it? And so uh, he continues. So here's the parable. That's the preface. Here's the parable. Um, Verse five through eight. Now a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse six, some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, I think it's really easy to immediately read those verses and go right to the soils, right? Oh, what do the soils mean, and, and where am I? And I think that there's a, an appropriate level to that. We're going to explain that too. Or, or what's the seed, and how does it? But that the, the thing you can't miss here isn't just the soils or the seed, but it's the sower. And particularly the, the absurdity of the sower, right? It, it, it's like, it, are you catching what it just said? Like, it seems wasteful. Like, it just, Jesus just pictured this sower, like, having a bag and just going, like, 
You know, like, like I don't, maybe land somewhere. I don't know, like, I'm not a farmer by any means, but, like, we have some farmers in our church. I was talking to Jeff, and I was like, man, Jeff's like, hey, Austin, can you help me plant some seed? I'm like, number one, do you know who you're asking, you know? I'm like, second, sure. Imagine if I got in his planter, and I, and I, and I was driving. I'm like, yep, and, and I leave the field, and I go to Wendy's drive-thru. But I'm dropping seed the whole time. He's <laughs> like, Are, you just wasted so much seed trying to get a, a little burger and fries. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But this is the, what Jesus is, is communicating. He's like, pictures this sower just chucking seed everywhere, almost like directionless, just, just in every direction. And, and could you imagine sowing seed like in some, just on the sidewalk, uh, among rocks, where there's no chance, among thorns? It's like just chucking it everywhere. And then only a quarter of it actually lands on good soil. When Jesus is saying this parable, we, we, we move on too fast, but you need to understand the sower he's talking about would seem crazy. People are like, this guy ain't right. Like he needs to get his farming license revoked immediately, okay? He's wasting too much seed. Um, I'm not a farmer, but I know farming 101 is you're meticulous about where you plant, right? You're specific about it. You till the soil, you water it. You're very specific about where and when you plant they would think that the sower he's talking about is out of his mind. But here's what I want to say. And, and we have used this passage primarily, I think, to use it as an assessment of when we're going to sow seed. In other words, we kind of, it's almost like this prerequisite to if we're going to share about Jesus. So we're looking at someone and go, man, I don't know. That feels like they're on the path. Like that's some hard, so I don't think they'll ever receive Jesus or even think about I'm not going to share anything because I assessed their soil, and that was my conclusion. Or I think they're just among rocks. They got a lot of stuff going on. I don't think they, I don't really know. I'm not going, I'm going to save my seed for, for something else. But that isn't what Jesus is talking about. In fact, he's talking about the opposite. Listen, this is an invitation to lavishly share about Jesus with any and everyone. To not be so concerned about your superficial self-assessment of what kind of soil they are, but to be like this extravagant sower and throw seed everywhere you go. Let him take care of the soil. Don't, you don't have to look on the outside and try to make your own assessment. Um, I have a friend named Phil, and Phil leads someone to Jesus, it seems like, every single week. And, and it's crazy. And I'm like, bro, and I'm tempted to think Phil is like special or he's got this crazy way to share the gospel. I'm like, dude, tell me your secrets. And he says, I share the gospel every single day with one person. Like my goal, my metric is I want to find a neighbor or a friend or a coworker or a family member or a barista or a waitress, whatever. And I just, I want to share the gospel with them. Just one meaningful conversation about Jesus with somebody who doesn't know. And, and then it ends up about one person accepts Jesus a week. About, And I'm like, wow, it seems like such a, he seems like a success when you say that one person accepts Jesus every week. But do you understand he struck out six times? He's batting not a thousand, but 14% he's hitting. You know, it's like, like that just seems crazy. But I think we have this like skewed view of sharing the gospel where we're so, um, it's so predicated on like success or I don't know. And it's like, no, he, he's failing a majority of the time, but that 14% is worth it. And those people are coming to know Jesus and it's amazing. Um, and so as you're thinking about sowing, see, I just want, I want to be make a couple of things clear. Number one, you can't, accept, you can't assess someone else's soil. As you're talking about people around you, you just can't. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that God doesn't see like us. He doesn't look on the outward appearance. He sees the heart. God actually knows. Number two, you can't change the soil. 
You need to hear that. You can't change the soil. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives growth. He doesn't, um, he, he can see, you can't. Uh, he can change hearts, you can't. All you can do is be like this extravagant sower and sow seeds, trusting the great sower to actually reap a harvest. And by the way, let me point this out. If you just went, man, Phil is kind of like out there, but I really admire him. If you just said, I would love to share the gospel in a meaningful way once a week, just, just once a week among your seven days, I just want to find one opportunity to share the gospel in a meaningful, conversational, relational way. And 14% of the time, if someone gave their life to Jesus in one year, seven people would have come to know Jesus. Seven eternities changed because of your faithfulness to do that. And if you did that over the next 20 years, just once a week sharing the gospel, over a 1,000 people will have heard the gospel from your lips. And this is kind of bad news, but it seems like bad news, but 900 would have rejected it. 900 would have landed on the rocky, thorns, hard path, whatever. But don't miss it. If you strike out six out of the seven times, share the gospel once a week for 20 years, you will have led 140 people to the radical grace of Jesus. 140 people. Who cares about how big of an inheritance you can give your kids? Who cares about how nice your kitchen remodel is? Who cares about those nice, sweet vacations or your corner office? What really matters is that your life mattered for eternity. And if you want it to matter for eternity, be like this extravagant sower and watch Jesus do some crazy things. I want you to know that the 14% chance is worth it. Now, if these, verses are, or if these verses are kind of confusing to you, take heart. They were confusing to the disciples. In fact, he tells the parable, his disciples, people are hanging out with him, are like... I don't know what that meant at all. Do you? Peter's like, nah, dude, that's welcome to the party. And so they go to him and they ask him, hey, Jesus, help me understand. And so um, look at verses 9 through 11. Now, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, because they were confused, so it's okay if you are too, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this, that the seed of the word is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Now, the only difference between everyone hearing the parable and not understanding and then people understanding was that they asked Jesus. Like, do you see how simple that is? It wasn't like Jesus said, hey, disciples, come over here. I got to tell you a secret. I just totally messed with their minds. But come in, let me tell you. No, no, no. The only difference is that they actually went and asked him. Like, that was, that was the difference maker, is that they were like, actually, I'm not okay with the parable. I want to know what it actually means, which is a great imitation to us. And Jesus goes, let me explain. The seed that I'm talking about, it's actually the word of God. Now, you need to catch this. We normally would say that the seed is the gospel, right? Like, that's how we would articulate it. The seed is the gospel. I'm sharing the gospel, whatever. But it's, it's significant that he says the word because the gospel without the Bible is like plucking a beautiful, vibrant rose and leaving it on, on the parking lot to get withered up in the sun. Like, the, your go- the sharing of the gospel and the Bible should be so deeply interconnected. So I just need to be clear. If your description of 
the gospel is just based on your feelings or your story, it will not be effective. People need to know that the gospel isn't just about your feelings or your experience, but it's written and it's clear in the objective, clear word of God, right? Like that matters. And you know, you don't have to be a Bible expert either. Like just explain Romans 6.23. Like you know one verse and share the gospel, but that it's rooted in the Bible. And so the sharing of the gospel isn't just sharing your story, but more so, more so sharing that the Bible all shares the story of Jesus. Not just some key concepts, but that Jesus is the key of all um, eternity, that he is the one. And I also want you to notice that for the soil and for the seed, the seed doesn't become less effective. It's not like the seed like didn't have enough power. It's like, no, the seed depending on what soil it land on. It's still beautiful, it's still sharp, it's still living, it's still active, it's still life-changing, it's still beautiful. It doesn't lose its power. It just, on those different soils, it doesn't, they don't have the ability to receive and respond to that seed, right? But the seed stays the same. Now, in verses 12 and 15, here's where we'll spend the rest of our time on the different types of soils. But before we read them, and before I explain them, I need to tell you this, and I need you to hear me. I want this time to primarily be self-reflective, So I need to say this in a room full of Christians because most of the time I'll preach a sermon, someone will come up, I love this part, my Aunt Karen needs this. Okay, I love that your Aunt Karen needs this, but you need this too, you know? Like, that's awesome, but we're so, like, you know what I mean? It's almost like, oh, that's so good. I'm not gonna let it hit me, but it needs to hit Aunt Karen. And like, and I push it this way. No, 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 my cousin Billy, he's crazy. No, my best friend Cherie, like, no, 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 you. Like, let it hit you first. And so as you're hearing this, don't just think about those in your life that have hard hearts towards Jesus. Assess if your heart is hard towards Jesus, right? Um, and so I want it to be self-reflective. What kind of soil are you? What has God's seed really landed? Take time to honestly reflect. But I also want to give you the permission afterwards to use this to process through stories in your life of other people. Because the realities that this talks about are some of the most heartbreaking things I've ever experienced in my life of people that are excited about Jesus. We're serving together. We're going together. We're in Bible study together. And then eventually they just fade away and they don't love Jesus anymore. And it's like, what, what happened? And this is explaining what happened. And so use it as a means to be able to understand as almost a medicine to be like, oh, this is, this is what happens. Not, not everyone that says they love Jesus is like, actually loves him. Not everyone who says that they've submitted to him ha- actually has. And so use this also to interpret um, that And Jesus explains this phenomenon in a clear, simple way. So four soils that represent four different hearts, stiff, shallow, suffocated, and soft. That's what we're going to walk through. So verse 12, we can start there. First soil, verse 12. Now the ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. The first type of soil is stiff, right? Now, if you're talking about a path, um, and remember, we walk, but we also drive a lot. And there, everyone walked. So however hard our paths are, their paths will be harder because everyone walked, right? So you're thinking like a path, something like really hard packed, something just like impenetrable, like so many feet have trampled on it over time. There's no getting through. It's packed and it's hardened. And if you were to throw a seat on this, it wouldn't even land on it. It would literally just bounce off of it. Like that's how hard it would be. And this is saying, this is uh, indicative of our hearts. If they're hard or they're calloused, or they're impenetrable, or we're kind of like stiff-arming God, keeping him at a distance. And notice in verse 12, it says that the devil comes 
And what does he do? He takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. It's saying that there's an act of spiritual warfare where seed is being planted. And even in this moment, Satan is trying to snatch it away. So my buddy Brian and I, we were with our kids to like camp away here in Lincoln, if you've been there, and there's this trampoline uh, and it's like a basketball thing. So like there's like this, this net in between us and then there's trampoline, trampoline, and we're jumping and there's a hoop behind me and a hoop behind him. And I would shoot it and he'd time it right and he would just like slam the ball away, like swat it away. It was pretty awesome. Uh, I felt very defeated afterwards because I only got to do it once. But anyways, um, but that picture of someone swatting something away is the picture this is giving of what Satan's trying to do right now to the seed that's going on your heart. It's shot, it's going, it looks like it's coming. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. And then boom, and snatches it away. You need to understand that Satan is after your heart as well. That he, is, he, he wants to continue to blind and deceive you. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. That's the pursuit of your heart right now. And so I have to ask, is your heart stiff towards God? Is it hard? And I want you to notice that a hardened path takes time to get, to get there, right? And so just to ask you if your heart is hard towards God, if you just haven't really surrendered, open up, why? Like, what had to happen over time to get your heart that way? Maybe there was suffering in your life, a loved one died or got sick, and you're just wondering, how could a good God allow that to happen? And your heart hardens. Maybe uh, someone who called themselves a Christian or a leader in a church hurt you or abused you, and you just, no, nope, that's hard, and, it, and, and you've just kind of stiff arms God away. I don't know what it is, but, but what has made your heart that way? I don't want to say, I've seen Jesus is the God that loves to soften hard hearts. Amen? Like, that's all of our stories. And I want you to know that most of the time, I see him do this through one or two ways, tragedy or triumph. Tragedy or triumph softens a hard heart, essentially losing it all or gaining it all and realizing it's not all. Like, it's like there's more to be had. So tragedy, I see this happen all the time. Uh, A relationship that you love, you're all about, and you guys break up, and your identity was in that, your schedule was in it, and you're like, I don't know who I am now. Because this person that I loved and I was committed to is now gone. And who am I? Maybe, maybe a better lover is Jesus. Maybe a better relationship that wouldn't leave is Jesus. Or, or injuries, whether it's in sports or work or something that just wakes you up to the reality of the fragility of your life. You can't hope in what you can do or what you can achieve. And you go, man, maybe Jesus is more stable than that. But I've seen it. Tragedy softens the path. It softens the hard heart. I've also seen it work the other way with triumph, where you get it all. I remember in high school and in college, I was, you know, had the right relationship, had the right vehicle, the right job, the right grades, the right friends, the right populated, the right money, whatever. Everything people told me that I needed, and inside I was like, there has to be more. I don't know if it's a, uh, if it's a better paying job or a prettier girl, whatever. I just don't know, but I'm just not satisfied in this. And it was like, maybe, just maybe, nothing will satisfy, and only Jesus will. And sometimes people have to get it all before they realize that it is nothing at all, and Jesus is our all, right? But either way, those happen. And so that's for our hearts to reflect. But I want to just speak in, like, application. What do you do? I'm sure right now you have people in mind that have hard hearts to the gospel. Most people probably in the room are like, oh, yeah, that person, they have a hard heart. So what do you do? Three things, real briefly. Number one, preach the gospel. 
preach the gospel. Uh, you need to understand that no one is saved by the gospel displayed. They're saved by the gospel declared. So no one sees your good works or you fixing a tire on the side of the road and goes, you know what? Just by watching you do that, I'm convinced that there's a holy God. I'm unholy. There's no way for me to save myself, and yet Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died for the sins I committed, uh, and, and raised in, in victory, and so now all I have to do is place my faith in him, and I do. Like, that never happens, you know? If it did, that'd be pretty convenient, you know what I mean? It's because people love good works, but we need the gospel not just displayed, but the gospel declared. Now, to follow that up, second thing is um, personify the gospel. So don't only preach the gospel, but personify the gospel. I've said this before, but if your life doesn't match your lips, you have lost your leverage. If your life doesn't match your lips, you've lost your leverage. So if you're trying to tell people, oh, Jesus is a life changer, he's amazing, you should see, and then they look at your life and they go, you do not look anything like the Jesus you're talking about. Oh, no, no, but he can change your life, but your life isn't changed. You lost your leverage. And I'm saying that we have to be perfect I'm just saying we can be honest with that, but Jesus is moving in us, and they go, he did a radical work in your life. Maybe you could do that in mine. And the last thing is to pray the gospel. So preach the gospel, personify the gospel, and pray the gospel. Pray over and over and over again. The gospel sinks into hearts. Just keep praying. God loves those prayers. He honors those prayers. I've seen people, just even last week, come to know Jesus after seven years of someone praying. Crazy things happen. Don't start praying. Um, my dad is an amazing story of this. I love my dad. Him and I are super similar. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Um, and I got saved early on in college, and um, Jesus was transforming my life, and, and I just wanted my dad to know the gospel. I just, Dad, I just, I want you to get it, you know? And he, and he was never, like, hostile towards the gospel. Um, he was always like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I believe the same thing. And I'm like, but you don't, you don't get it. It's not just like, do I agree with these things. It's like, but has it captured your heart? And it didn't. And I just kept sharing the gospel. We'd have these really late night conversations and I'd pray for him and he'd see my life changed. And then he got, right before my wife and I got married like six years ago, he broke his leg in a motorcycle accident, like really, really bad. And he's an active, successful guy. And so he had to sit on the couch for six weeks doing nothing but thinking. The tragedy, right? And he's sitting there and he calls me one day and he goes, I'm ready, Austin. I'm like, what? And he goes, I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm surrendering all. I'm, I'm all in. And I just was freaking out. You know, I'm like, but I'm like, what happened? He's like, I just, it, I just finally slowed down to actually think, to actually consider what my life is and what it could be. And God broke into his heart. So don't stop preaching the gospel. Don't stop personifying the gospel. Don't stop praying the gospel. Jesus loves to save hard hearts. And by the way, if you're a believer, this was you at one point. This was me at one point. He wants to continue. Verse 13. Um, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a little while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. This soil isn't stiff, but it is shallow. It's shallow. So much of the soil in Jesus' time was deceptive because what you would get is this like really beautiful, really lush three inches of good soil. But then underneath this good soil was a bedrock of limestone, just rock. And so you would plant a seed there and it would immediately sprout because it was such good soil, but it could never go more than three inches deep. 
And so as it's going there, and it did, I mean, it was sprouting up, but the farther it sprouted up, the, the, the ratio wasn't right with the roots because they couldn't grow deep, and a wind comes, and it would blow it over. Anything came, and it was not strong enough. The root wasn't deep enough to actually sustain that plant, whatever it might be. And this is saying, he's saying the same thing happens to people when they are responding to Jesus purely out of emotion, right? And it's heartbreaking. It happens all the time. I see people get excited about Jesus, have an emotional response, then some tragedy comes, some time of testing, something unexpected, hardship happens, and they just fall away. And I, I don't get it, but this is making it make more sense. Their roots weren't deep enough to withstand whatever was going to happen, and they blew over. And I think two things play into this, just as we're diagnosing where we're at. Number one is that their foundation of faith is purely emotional, is purely emotional. Now, we live in an emotional age. I don't think it was this way 50 years ago. I don't think the primary push in Christianity was emotion and moving your heart and feeling so moved by something, but I do think it is today. Now, um, you could call this like hype or emotional, uh, superficial emotionalism, or enthusiasm. That's what it's rooted in. And I want to be clear, Jesus does command our emotion. You should be moved and swayed by the heart of God in your soul. Like, it should move you to, to, to tears, to, to joy. Like, there should be emotion. Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart. But he also says, and your mind and your soul and your strength. So not just your heart, which I think a lot of people try to do is just our heart. And what happens is our emotions are fluid. Our feelings are fickle. They come, they go, they change on the daily, right? And so what happens is if your relationship with Jesus is founded on emotion, when tragedy comes, it will provoke your emotion to anger. And your emotion will lead you in that anger to leave God to run away, to raise a fist at him. So don't, if your relationship with God is based on enthusiasm and hype, well, when times get hard, that person in city group calls you on your sin or says, man, I don't know if I understand this, and it offends you, and you're led by enthusiasm, that enthusiasm's gone. That hype is faded, and you leave the relationship, and you leave Jesus. This is what happens. It's purely emotional. But the second reason that this happens is that people are often uninformed by the gospel, uninformed of the gospel. And so they think that they're signing up for a fun, exciting walk with Jesus rather than a war. They think like this is an invitation to, uh, for a cruise ship rather than a battleship. They think they're just signing up for Jesus as a savior, but they're also signing up for Jesus as a Lord, right? It's both of them. And yes, it's fun, but it's also hard. And so when Jesus pushes on your misconception, you're frustrated and you leave. But the frustration is actually rooted in confusion. And catch this for a second. Most of the time when people are confused and uninformed about the gospel, it actually isn't your fault. Some leader, someone else lied to you and watered down the gospel and told you it was just pray a prayer or get baptized or get confirmed and you're good. And that's not the truth. They have made Christianity about you or some event rather than actually submitting your whole life to Jesus. So to be clear, let me inform you of the actual intention Jesus gives. He says to bear your cross, to lay down your life, to allow him to take the throne of your life in every area, to wholeheartedly turn away from everything that breaks God's heart, to surrender it all because Jesus surrendered it all for us. Some of the greatest heartache of my life is watching this happen. 
people that have been baptized on this stage that have gotten up and shared their stories and all of us are cheering and all of us are excited and there's this beautiful fruit that just sprouted immediately and it's awesome and we're excited and then months later, they're nowhere to be found. Like I have deep sorrow in my heart when I've seen this and I have some genuine like PTSD and I have to beg God to help me rejoice in every proclamation of faith and not be weary and wondering if it's, if it's a shallow soil. You with me? So hear me say this very clear. This is not an invitation to be a soil vigilante. This isn't a, did you, let me see. They profess faith. I don't know. It seems, seems like it's a little bit shallow and a little bit emotional. It's not, that's not your job. You sow the seed. You let God do the rest with the soil. Now, I do want to be clear. You, we need to collectively as a church be crazy loving and supportive to people who just gave their life to Jesus. I don't think there's any stage of a believer's life that is more dangerous than the first few months after accepting him. Satan want, the root's not deep yet, and Satan wants to just go boom and grab it. And so I'm going, as a church, let's surround them, let's get around, let's pray like crazy, let's encourage them, let's invite them in, but you are not the vigilante, and you cannot change the soil, and you also cannot assess the soil. Jesus will be faithful to sow and see what he does. And so let me just ask you this. Have there been trials in your life? Has push come to shove between what God thinks and what you think? Have you had dark moments of doubt? But through it all, you've clung to the gospel. Even though affliction comes, you have chosen to remind yourself that Jesus is good and he's for you. And I want to say, if that's your story, if that's true of you, you can be assured that you're not in shallow soil that he has moved you, that you are rooted deeper than just three inches of superficial soil. First Thessalonians 1.6 says this, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Third soil is uh, verse 14. We're getting close. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. The last soil, it's not stiff, it's not shallow, but it is suffocated. It is suffocated, it is choked out. So when you'd plant something and the weeds and the thorns remained there and they weren't taken out, they would prohibit the seed from actually growing up and doing anything with it, to actually grow any fruit. And if you look back in verse seven with me, It says, this is when Jesus originally talks about it. He says, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns, this is key, grew up with it and choked it. So for something to grow up with it means that initially you couldn't see it. It was underneath the surface. There were weeds there that you couldn't see. There were thorns there you couldn't see. And as it grew, the thorns also grew. And what's happening here is that they never actually, like, weeded out stuff. They never actually went through and took out the roots, or maybe they did. They only took the top off and not the root, and so these weeds just keep coming back. These thorns keep surfacing, and you can't actually grow and move from that point. The, the seed among the thorns, here it is, is the person who never truly repents, that never truly repents. Maybe responds, we just said charismatically in the beginning, but never truly repents, never weeds out the things that hinder true growth. Um, and this is what happens. And so let me explain this. When you give your life to Jesus, in one sense, everything changes. 
You now have an endless supply of grace from God. You now have a new title as a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the king. He's given you a new family of believers around you. He's given you his spirit to remind you and to convict you. Everything has changed, but in another sense, nothing has changed. You still have the same numbers in your phone, the same habits you lived with for years, the same clothes in your closet, the same conflict style, the same events on your calendar, same apps on your phone, TV show, shows on TV, same word choices, same job, same school. Everything changes when you trust in Jesus. But in another sense, if you're not intentional, nothing changes. Because it's just, and, but you expect it to. It's almost like, well, I accepted Jesus. So it's like, well, no, 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 no. There's work to be done. They're, they're, you need to go out and put the gloves on and pull out some of the weeds of your soul. And this is why repentance is so significant. That word repentance simply means to rethink or, or to change your mind. And so you assess your life. How do I talk to people? And then you look, how did Jesus talk to people? And if those two things are different, you repent and ask Jesus to change your heart. And you look at the way you talk, the, the way you act, what you do, how, how you spend your money, what you eat, what you drink, how you drink, whatever. And you go, I want to submit all of that under the authority of Jesus, and I'll be more like him. But so many people do this quick, easy, like ask Jesus into your heart and expect everything to change, and it's not, and then they're confused. They're uninformed. And so I, I need you to hear me clearly. Jesus finished every ounce of work for your salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. Um, it's finished. That's what he says from the cross. So you can't earn God's love, you can't win his favor, and you cannot impress him. Jesus already did that 2,000 years ago, and you've placed your faith in him. His love, all of that is secured for you. The salvific work is done, but hear me say this. That doesn't mean that all the work is done. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for it, but work it out. Work it out, right? Um, essentially, put on some gloves and start pulling the weeds of your soul and make space for Jesus to be the king and ruler solely. Jesus says that most of the time these thorns and the weeds are cares uh, and their riches and their pleasures of this life. And so the cares are simply the worries of the world, the way that the world thinks and operates. It's this false sense of security of locking that account, get this thing, whatever it might be. Um, uh, and it's operating out of fear rather than trusting the trustworthiness of our Father in heaven that he's gonna provide. The riches, we just spent three weeks on this in 1 Timothy 6, so if you haven't listened to them, go back, listen to them. But riches are um, status and comfort and new and upgrades rather than having your treasure in heaven and pleasures of this life or experiences or travel or relationships rather than just being satisfied in Jesus. But all of these are competing with Jesus' rightful place. Now, this is, this is crazy because it doesn't say the same word in the text, but that word, he says that what happens to this seed is that it gets choked out, okay? Um, now, next week I'm preaching on Jesus coming to try and heal this guy's daughter, and as he is going to heal her, it says the crowd pressed in on him. That's the word that it uses in the ESV, pressed in on him, and, um, and that's actually the same exact word that it uses here for choking it out, okay? So track me. If I was going back to see my friend Brett to give him a hug back here, I could probably get there in four seconds. Maybe that's too ambitious. Maybe that it would look, be awkward, okay? But if I ran out, I'd get there in four seconds. But if you guys collectively piled in and just everyone stood up and moved, it would take me a long time to get to Brett. Matter of fact, I might lose him. I might not, I might not ever get there, but it would take minutes, take five to 10 minutes to actually push through everybody and get through. And this is what Jesus says happens to our heart if we're not repenting. 
It's like we're trying to go to Jesus, but there's so many things in front of us that we're crowded out and we can't sprout up. There's no oxygen to breathe. There's no direct, there's no clarity, and we're just crowded. We just can't, we can't get anywhere. And so this is where it comes in going, I want to take everything out, and I want to see Jesus. I want to run to him like I've never ran to anything before. My heart isn't divided. I'm going straight towards him, suffocated. Um, lastly is verse 15. And it's uh, the soft soil. So look at verse 15. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So check this out. The seed of God's word, this seed, and the good soil, it doesn't bounce off the stiff surface of the heart. And it doesn't temporarily flourish in the shallow soil of emotion, only to shrivel in hard times. And it doesn't, it doesn't get suffocated by the competing desires of the world. No, the good soil is the heart that God's word has rooted deeply in so it can grow tall and it can bear much fruit. And I've been praying that Colossians 2 verse 7 would be true of all of our hearts. Colossians 2 7, here's what it says. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. That by God's grace, that would happen in our lives, that we would be rooted built up in him and established in the faith. So I just want to point two things about this verse. This verse. Number one, quickly, it says, hold it fast. That the, the, the soil, the good heart, holds this gospel, this word, fast. That word, hold it fast, is actually synonymous. The picture it communicates is someone in a shipwreck swimming to shore as fast as they can. Now, can you imagine us? I mean, I know, like, just say we're at Branch Stoke in the middle of the lake and we get in a boat accident. And even if you have your life, I don't know, but we're swimming hard to the beach, right? We're like going, and that's the picture it's giving us of holding it fast, of like, I'm just dead set on this direction. Nothing's going to get in my way. I want to be there as fast and quickly as I can. I want to stay there forever in safety, in Jesus. And how contrary that is to the crowded, choked out room, right, where you can't get anywhere. So hold it fast. And the second one is bearing fruit with patience. It says this, this good soil bears fruit with patience. And so I've said this before, but if any fans of guacamole, avocado, obviously all of us. Uh, but anyways, and if not, don't know if you're a Christian. But anyways, uh, if you were to get an avocado seed, if you were to get an avocado seed and plant it, hoping for an avocado tree, it would take 10 years to get an avocado. 10 years you'd have to wait for that fruit to be there, right? And on the contrary, one of the quickest like little fruits, vegetables, I don't know what a tomato is, but my wife and I, or my wife and I, my daughter planted a garden and this little sucker came up in like 40 days, okay? It's delicious, it's amazing. Um, and um, so 40 days, but here's the point. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say anything about the fruit in quantity or even in quality. It just says that there's fruit present. And so it may be a 10-year avocado tree, and it may be a 40-day tomato, but nonetheless, there is growth present. That People could look and say, no, 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 Jesus has changed you. Like, it might not see the fruit yet, but I can see the tree growing bigger. Like, I can see that Jesus is changing you, and that is what's true of the good soil. And so let me, let me finish by saying this. The soil, you have to get this. It can't change itself. And no one else has the power to change it. Like, I felt this weight of anxiety as I prepared this sermon, even last night. Like, this heaviness to my heart of, like, I just, I, I know that every soil in this, these verses is represented in this room. I'm not saying that in a pessimistic way. I'm saying that in a biblical way of any amount of crowd, there is going to be 
different hearts and different soils represented. Some are hard uh, and just hardened and, and stiff-arming God. Some are, uh, are shallow emotionally. They just want this quick, fun experience, and they're just going to fade away. Some are going, I think I'm really in it. But then it's actually um, leaders and servers, and it's like, but I'm just choked out by the riches and cares of this world and divided heart, and I'm going to eventually... Go off. It just and, and it just and it frustrates me and it scares me. And I'm like, what can I do to make every heart in here good soil? And even I'm thinking about for myself, like, do I have good soil? You know, there's all this stuff. Like, can I can I get extra passionate? Can I preach like the best sermon I've ever preached? What can I do? A great illustration to, to soften everybody's heart and make them all good soil. And the reality is, I have to come to the conclusion: I can't, and neither can you. Dirt doesn't have. Any control, think about soil, it's just dirt. It, it can't change itself, it can't move to a different area, it's just dirt. That's bad news. You don't have any control of what soil you are, and neither do I, but here's the good news, Jesus does. Jesus does. My wife and daughter wanted to plant a garden in our backyard for some reason, it's kind of a thing, and so that's where we got the tomato. Uh, it's great for little salads, but anyways, um, but they were like, yeah, we want to plant, but the area they wanted to plant was like this six by six area that was like the hardest dirt you've ever, like, like you don't want to fall off the trampoline and hit this dirt, you know, and it's like that's going to break a rib, and so I'm like, I don't know if you're ever going to get any fruit from that, and they're like, yeah, I mean, we could throw a thousand seeds on it and 20 gallons of water, and I'm telling you, nothing would sprout up, okay? It was so hard packed from the sun and the time. And so my mother-in-law brought this over. I think it, is it back here? Um, yeah, yeah. It's called a rototiller. <laughs> you ever seen one of these? So this is a rototiller. It's an oldie, oldie but goodie. And, uh, and if you can see this right here, that's what it does. You turn this thing on, and it spins that. And if you're mad at somebody, you throw it at them, okay? If you're not, but literally all she would do is she would turn it on. I thought about turning this on during the gathering, but I don't even know if I can. I think there's a choke somewhere. I don't know. But anyways, and literally my mother-in-law, Holly, bless her heart, was just like cranked it on, just went boom, and just walked it and went and boom. And it's just like grinding into the ground, and it's breaking up all that hard soil, breaking all of it, like just... I couldn't believe it. And it was going, and then you'd see like little rocks come out. I promise you, little toys, little Barbie heads were flying out of that. I'm like, okay, I don't know who lived before, but that was not okay. And I mean, there was weeds, and like all these things were coming up, and it just all of a sudden, what was once this like hardened path that had all this stuff in it and could never grow anything, after the rototiller came and she spent some time on it, it actually was good soil. And I just showed you, we've got a ton of tomatoes, and we got a ton of zucchinis, and it was amazing, but this is the picture of what had happened. Um, and I want you to know, this is the picture of what Jesus does for us. This proverbial rototiller comes into our hearts, and, and, and the Spirit comes, and he, and he, and he, and he breaks open our, the cold, callous places of our hearts, and he opens them up to actually receive the word of God. Um, this is what the, the Spirit does. He comes to the rototiller, and he digs out all the rocks and whatever else we have that would prohibit our seed from actually planting deep and growing fruit. The Spirit comes as the rototiller and roots out every weed that would stifle our growth or that would uh, strangle our intimacy, and thus we become good soil and we bear much fruit by the powerful gospel, it plants deep into our hearts and changes everything. And before we know it, fruit starts to sprout, and passion starts to change, and generosity bubbles up, and sin is fought, and relationships are restored. But guess what the soil did? Absolutely nothing. 
It just received what the planter did. And that's our story. That's why Jesus gets all the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your grace and your goodness. Um, We haven't earned a single ounce of it. And yet today we are standing uh, under an insane amount, just a waterfall of your grace. And so God, thank you. I know that uh, your word doesn't return void. I know that it bears fruit. And I'm just praying this morning, Jesus, that you would be so gracious as the seed is sown in all of our hearts, in my heart too, that it would actually land in good soil and it would grow and it would bear good fruit, that we would hold it fast, that we would swim like we're swimming ashore for safety, that we would have no distractions and run towards you, Jesus, that with patience, we'd bear fruit, that you would grow us and mold us and change us. Um, And so, Jesus, I just pray for every hard heart in the room, God, that you would take that proverbial rototiller and just break it up. And it's, and it's hard, and, that, and that it, it, would, it would hurt, but it also it would heal. And so I pray that you would do that, God. Break any hard parts of our heart to receive you. For the, the hearts that are in the rocks, that um, there's, there's all these distractions coming in or that it's that's shallow, God, I pray that you would break up that rock and you would let the roots go deep, that we could withstand any trial that comes. And God, for the thorns, I pray that you you would take all of them out, that you would encourage us through the act of repentance, that we would weed out our lives, that we would take everything, that we'd leave the crowd, and that we get to be fixated right on Jesus and hold fast to you. And so God, change us. I just pray. I know that I have no control over the seed uh, or no control over the soil, but I know that you do, and I love. I know that you love to break up hard hearts and to move rocks and to take out weeds and to plant good seed and good soil and bear much fruit. So God, do it this morning. Um, we love you. In your name, amen.